0: Good morning, good, yeah. good morning Rabotai. Breakfast today is dedicated for the refuah of Daniel Ben Esther, sponsored by his son Ben Chakshur. Uh, breakfast is also dedicated for the refuah of Raham Alberto Ben Gilberta Gilsom, sponsored anonymously, and as well, breakfast is dedicated, loving memory, and Lilu nishmat, Saraba Victoria, Bat-Raphael, aliya sponsored by her granddaughter, Shiba uh, Urizade. Please stay after the breakfast class. When we will do a hashkava for her, Rabotai, there's something which is fascinating—a machloket, a disagreement, shh, a disagreement between Mechila, a disagreement between Rashi and Ramban. The pasuk says that when Eliezer arrived at the house of Lavan, after being welcomed in, he walks into the, uh, into the, into the house, and um, and the pasuk says as follows. <coughs> And he comes into the house and he opens up the camels. Now, again, I want to illustrate to you this, this point because it's a very powerful point and you have to kind of pay attention long enough to something that seems to have no relation to you at all, ever, until you find until you kind of pull the Musar out of it. What does it mean, and he opened up the gemalim, he opened up the camels, Rashi says, Opened up the camels means, he opened up the muzzle of the camel. Why did he have his camels muzzled? That he needed to open it now that he got here. Rashi says, in order that the animals should not eat, they they should never eat from any grass which does not belong to them. That's why he had all of his camels, were always muzzled and therefore now that the animal, that the camels came inside the house, now he was able to open up the the muzzles. Ramban says, impossible, that that's the right interpretation. Rashi, you're nuts. He doesn't say that, I'm paraphrasing. Why does he say that Ramban? Why does he say that? Because he says, it must mean, not that he opened the muzzles, but rather that he opened the reins. Or that he opened the saddles and he let them loose. Why? He says, because we know an amazing story happened with Rabbi Pinchas Ben-Yair. Rabbi Pinchas Ben-Yair was someone who was very, very, very careful with, his, uh, with, his, uh, with himself, with his animals, with his tefillot, and one day out of the backyard of his house, uh, some ganavim come along and they steal the donkey of Rabbi Pinchas Ben-Yair. They take the donkey back, they work with the donkey the whole day, these thieves, and then they will try and feed the donkey. The donkey doesn't eat. The next morning they wake up the donkey, they work with the donkey again, they try and feed the donkey at the end of the second day. Had that? Don't eat. eat. He's waiting for the breakfast at Safrayani. Okay, what happens to this donkey? Two days. The third day comes, they work him, they try and feed the donkey, the donkey's not eating. Three full days. The thieves turn to one another and they say, what do we need this for? The animal's going to die. It's going to smell. We're going to have to dispose of it. And there's only garbage disposals on Monday. What are we going to do? Chalas, they say, let's cut him loose. They cut the donkey loose. And the donkey, after not eating for three days, weakly makes its way back. It knows the road, makes its way back to the home. It's outside the gate of Rebbe Pehaz Ben-Yair's house. And all of a sudden, the rabbi, inside, he hears the weak braying, of the animal that's literally at death's doorstep. He tells the people in the house, quickly run outside and go feed my donkey. I'm sure it hasn't eaten in three days. They bring the donkey in, exactly as he said that's how it was. They feed the donkey and the donkey eats. Listen to this then. The Midrash says, if the earlier generations, if they were like angels, then today we are like humans. And if they were like humans, we today, we are like donkeys. And not even like the donkey a Rabbi Penhas Ben-Yair. This is what the, all of this is brought down word for word in the Midrash. So says Ramban, I don't understand, Rashi. You're telling me that Abraham muzzled his animals in order that they shouldn't eat from Gezel. But the Midrash tells me about Rabbi Penhas Ben-Yair's donkey that when they stole the donkey, it didn't even eat from the fruits and vegetables they were trying to fruit feed it because they didn't separate maaser. What's a bigger isur? Gezel or tevel? Gezel. There's no isur on a donkey to eat tevel. And if God protected the donkey of Reb Perhas ben Yair from eating tevel, surely God would have protected the animals of Avraham Avin, who was far greater from eating gezel. So can't be... That when it says, Va gemalim, It means that he opened the muzzles of the, the donkeys, of the camels. It must mean that he opened rather the straps of the saddle or of the reins. But there's no way in the world God would not have protected the animals of Avraham Amin. The Meshech Ochma in defending Rashi gives two answers. His first answer is, You're right, Ramban. True. Avraham did not need to muzzle his animals. Either way, they would have been protected. But I know that, and Avraham Avinu knows that. Not everybody else knows that. So therefore, you have regular Ayge, who's not a Sadiq, who's not a wonderful person. He himself steals. He looks at Avraham's animals, he sees that they're not muzzled, he thinks. The halakha is you're not, you don't have to muzzle your animals. So because of marit ayin, and what everyone else would have learned, that's why Avraham muzzled his animals. First answer of the Meshach Chochmah. Second answer of the Mishnah Hukma, that's the answer I want to focus on with you today. The second answer of the Mishnah Hukma goes as follows. He says, you're, you're getting it wrong. I want to now tell you the end of that Midrash. <coughs> the end of that Midrash tells a story of two Amoraim, two great sages from the time of the Gemara. One of them sent a wheel of figs, a circle of figs. de Vela. He sends him a circle of figs as a present. The other rabbi receives the present. The first rabbi says, the guy I'm giving it to, the uh, recipient of the gift, he's such a big Sadiq, of course he's going to separate ma'asir. The second rabbi says, the rabbi who gave it to me, the uh, giver, of course he's such a big Sadiq, of course he separated ma'asir. Says the midrash, beni beni, between this one relying on that one and that one relying on this one, they ate, the rabbi ate develah, he ate the fig, in its table without taking ma'asir. That's where the Midrash says this line, if they were like angels, we are like humans, if they were like humans, we are like donkeys, and not even like the donkey of Rabbi Ben Hans Ben Yair. What the Midrash is communicating is, here are two great rabbis. Here are two rabbis that are trying to do the right thing. But what we learn from here is, that even though God, even though another rabbi you could rely on him, even though you look at someone else, you could rely on him. Just because someone else is going to do something Does not absolve you From making the attempt To do something right yourself Never rely on another person When you have the opportunity To make the effort yourself Don't say he's going to help the person with sedaka, He's going to make the minyan He's going to make the shiur Even if that's true You never rely on anybody And what is Abraham teaching us? Even though God would have protected him and protected his animals. When it comes to a misvai, don't even rely on God. It was a famous story with the, Rabbi, with the brisker of. Uh, brisker brain is a very, very sharp uh, method of thinking. Everything is questioned. It's a rigorous debate. If one word is out of place then they throw away the whole answer because it doesn't seem to fit the words exactly. It's a relentless pursuit of the truth and of an exactitude in uh, the communication of Torah. So the Briska Rav was once teaching his students that when it comes to character traits, to midot, midot, there's no such thing when you come to a midah of not having that thing at all. And he proved it. Because what does the word midah mean? It means a character trait So anger is a midah right? Uh, resilience is a midah Jealousy is a midah All of these things amidot, Says a brisker The word midah means A measurement And what that means is It's not a question of whether you do it Or you don't do it It's a question of when you do it And as an example How do we find that to be true? When is a person supposed to be jealous? Kinat <inaudible> sofrim when a person sees someone else learning, they're supposed to be jealous. You see someone else doing a mitzvah, you're supposed to be jealous. Because kin'at sofrim, the jealousy of scribes, ultimately, brings out more wisdom. So Rabotai, this point is crucial. So a midah is not about do or don't, it's about when. It's about how much, about achieving balance. If you show me someone who is never angry, I will show you someone who has nothing in his life that he loves. Because if you love something, and that thing is shepherded, with, they say, is bothered, is disrespected, and you don't get angry, it means that you don't appreciate or value that thing. If it doesn't anger you when you see someone doing an avon, when you see someone taking advantage of a widow, of a poor man, if that doesn't bother you, if someone rich is humiliating someone poor or weak, and that doesn't bother you, And that means that you don't have a heart. So you're supposed to get angry. So the student is listening and he's taking that in. A couple days later, the rabbi is giving them another shiur. And the rabbi says, Believing in God or denying God, he said, is not a matter of intellect or wisdom. It's not a matter of psychology. He said, it's a matter of ber midot. If someone denies God, it's because he has... A bad character. Why? If he's incapable of admitting that anybody else helps him in anything, he's incapable of getting rid of that arrogance, then that's why he's denying God in his existence. Not because his brain told him to, not because his psychological problem or predilection, but rather because his midot, his character traits are such that he doesn't have built-in gratitude. All of a sudden, one of the students raises their hand and they say, Rabbi, it can't be. You told us that anything that's called a midah, there's a time when you do it and a time when you don't. That means there's a time when you should deny God. When is the time that one should deny God? The brisque looked at him and he smiled. and He said, you know when you deny God, sometimes you have a person who's approached by someone who needs a lot of help. They need a piece of advice. They need you to offer them a job. They need you to do something for them. And you smile at them and you say, Hashem Yazor. Bezrat Hashem. Imirza Hashem. Please God, if Hashem wills it. it Rav says when someone's coming to you and asking you for help, that's the time to deny God. Not to rely on Akadosh Hu to do something, but to do something yourself. It's not that God can't do it or can't help. HaKadosh who has enough money and enough jobs and enough cures to heal all the sick and to employ all the unemployed and to give money to all the people who don't have money. But God put people here who need help in order to be Mizakeh, in order to give the chance to those that have wherewithal to be able to assist, to be able to assist them. So God put them there for you to help. So in that time, a person should deny God, so to speak, and rely on himself. The Meshech Ochma is answering, he says. That look at the difference between the two cases of Avraham Avinu and Rabbi Pinchas Ben-Yair. You want to know why Avraham needs to muzzle his animal if Rabbi Pinchas Ben-Yair's donkey didn't eat without a muzzle? You know what the difference is? The difference is Rabbi Pinchas Ben-Yair's donkey was stolen. He didn't have an opportunity to do his own hishtadlut, to put his own muzzle on, to protect his own animal without God doing it. Avraham Avinu, who's, the animals weren't stolen, he was taking them out every day. He was doing the minhag, where even if I could rely on God, I don't want to rely on God, I want that mitzvah. I know that God's going to take care of that other person. The question is not whether God will take care of them, like we say every day, <laughs> The question is not if the mitzvah will get done, the question is not if Mashiach will come, the question is will I merit to have a piece of the pie? Like Mordechai tells Esther, I'm asking you to save the Jews. You don't want to save them? No problem. Someone else will save them. Something else will save them. God has many messengers. The question is, I gave you the chance now. I set you up with your money, with your power, with your influence for a reason. And now that the chance is coming to fulfill that reason, How are you going to act? Because if you don't use your kingdom, if you don't use your position to be able to do what I'm giving you the chance to do, (laughs) at ubet avich tovedu, you and your father's house will be obliterated. The only reason why you merit your existence is when you use your existence for the right thing. If you aren't using your existence for the right thing, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Clearly you're not the messenger I thought you were. Why should I give you Panasa if you're not sharing it? Why should I give you a job and a position to be able to uh, hire others if you're not hiring people who need your help and you're not giving people a chance? Why should I give you wisdom if you're not someone who ever wants to influence or inspire others? Let me take back the gifts that I gave you. We learned from here a tremendous lesson, Rabbotai. You can always rely on someone else. But the job of a Jew is not to say somebody else, the job of the Jew is to say, it's on me. The Midrash says, and we'll end with this. Why was Adam created alone? 10 seconds later, Abraham, God is gonna create from Adam, he's gonna create Eve. So create Adam and Eve together. Why did he create Adam alone and only later create Eve? And there's many answers to this. But the Midrash says, in order that the man should turn around in his world and say, Bishvili nivra haolam. For me, this world was created. Adam should look around and see that there's not a single other human being on the planet. Now that sounds like a terrible thing to do. To make a man think that the world quite literally revolves around him? The point Rabbotai, was not that Adam should see the world as his servant, the world as his plaything, the world as something that was providing for him, but rather that he should look around the world and recognize that if the world was going to have someone take care of it, there's not a single other person that I could rely on. There are two types of people in this world, the ones that have suggestions but are never there to carry out their own suggestions And the ones who, after saying, Rabbi, I'd like to do something for the shul, or I think we should start this in this program, or maybe we should have this kind of learning in the class, they're the ones that call everybody. We should have money, Rabbi, we should have a fund to take care of people who come to the synagogue. Who are the people that stand up and say, and I'm going to ask all of my friends? Who are the people that say, we have to have people check for shatnees? And then the very next day, they're on the phone and they're sorting out that the person checking shatnees should be in the synagogue. Who are those people? Those people can be me, and those people can be you. Or they can be somebody else. But ultimately, we learned from Abraham, you never, ever, ever rely on anybody else. Even if the else, if the anybody else is God himself, you still take the opportunity to do the mitzvah yourself. Hashem doesn't need no more mitzvot. It's we that do. May God bless us always to be ba'ale ahrayut, people who take things on our shoulders. Because the more you take on your shoulders, the more HaKadosh Baruch Hu blesses you. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen